0: I appreciate yesterday's um, prayer, and if you're following along in the prayer guide, yesterday was day 13, and something hit me pretty profoundly in, in my quiet time with God yesterday when I was using this prayer guide to help me, and I'm going to pull it up in my church center app. Here's what it says, uh, Colossians 1:13 through 14, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And then here's the prayer. Our Father, I praise you that you have rescued me from the kingdom of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of your dear Son. Thank you for purchasing my freedom and forgiving my sins. And then there's a direction for us to pray for someone else. It says, choose a person to pray for who doesn't know the love of Jesus yet. And there's a fill in the blank here. And so, Uh, It says father, I ask you to rescue blank from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of your dear son Jesus open their minds and see they to see they need you and Set them free forgive them and rescue them in Jesus name Amen this prayer this this simple prayer of uh, you have saved me from the kingdom of this world where I am bound by the things of this world, and you have set me free through Jesus Christ to live in the kingdom of heaven. This is what we all celebrate. And when we look at the world around us, we share a burden. One thing that makes us, I think the defining thing that makes a group of people that gather together in the name of Jesus a church is this shared burden that we have for those people who do not yet know Jesus. And think about that for a minute. Like, there are people in our life, in our world, that don't yet know Jesus. And what does that mean? How many of you have been through something in life, and you look back, and, or you have said this, I don't know what I would have done without Jesus. There are people that are facing those same issues that don't have Jesus what do they have well look at what's going on in the world the things that we if we are kings of this or if we're submitted to the kings of this world the things we turn to is escapism alcohol drugs retreating to self these things that lead to our destruction and all of those in our society are on the rise so uh, this burden that there are people, you know, depending on the research that you that you see, there's 52% of people in the I-5 corridor from, from Vancouver, B.C., down to Eugene. Research shows they call it the godless corridor. They say things like there are more dogs than Christians in that corridor. If <laughs> you go five miles east or west, like there's all these things they say about how there's so many lost people. In 2006, Benton County, Oregon was listed at the top of the list of the least churched counties in the United States. So there are people around us that don't have the hope of Jesus Christ. For me, that's a burden I carry. That is a weight. C.S. Lewis refers to this as the weight of their glory rests upon me. And it... and. And then when I think, I can't save everyone, Jesus saves them. But we together are God's church. When we share that burden for people who don't yet know Jesus, we can do something about it. Because none of us are expected or equipped to address this burden all by ourselves. Because you have to ask the question, what are we doing here? Why are we here? Why are we here as a church? Why do we gather? We do not gather so you have a place to go on Sunday to feel good about yourself and then you go about your week. However, because we love one another and there's a healthy culture here, when we gather, you end up feeling pretty good and then you go about your week. But that is not the purpose. Our purpose is for us to come together, share the gifts and resources that we have because not one of us can do it alone, to do something about the people in our world that don't yet know Jesus. Because, and you've heard this said here, God loves, God loves it when the people he loves loves the people that he loves. Just like you and I do. I love it when my kids remember each other, today's my daughter's birthday, great day i love it when my kids are i know my sons are going to call my daughter and tell them happy birthday and i see some of you have already told her happy birthday and there's a there's a card passing around to give it to her, like i love you i love her i love to see you love her it's like you love that too right god's the same and the people that he loves don't know that he loves them we are the ones we're the hands and feet we are the only ones that god has told his plan is that we are the ones that tell other people that he loves them by the way we treat them, by the way we forgive them, by the way we welcome them. And each one of us is wired differently in how we do that, and that's why we need one another. We need to come together. That's why we're here. And sometimes we need to overcome past trauma so we have things like spiritual crisis care in our church so we can help you overcome those things and sometimes we have generational pain that needs to stop and so jesus invites us to declare that our old life is dead and we have a new life we have a new inheritance a new father the generational curse doesn't have to continue because we're a new creation it gives us a new spirit a new king a new kingdom to live in that's what we're invited to that's what you're invited to that's what this prayer reminded me of it is so simple that sometimes we we forget or we confuse it with all the other things when we try to look at, when we, when we overlay the, the priorities of this world over God's kingdom, we start to measure God's church based on corporate capitalistic metrics. When we're not even playing that game, I'm not even interested in that. I've said that many times. Some people come to church, they're trying to buy something that we're not selling. So yes, they're going to be dissatisfied. But the invitation today is what happens when we, as God's people, forget why we're here? What do we do? What is God's response when God's people lose sight? As we go through these 52 days of prayer, our hope is that just as God is always inviting his people back to reunite with him, he's always inviting us to connect with him and rebuild the foundation of our faith. And the best tool we have to do that is prayer. And so through these 52 days of prayer, we're inviting you to adopt a habit of prayer and connection with God. Because that's the way we rebuild. And if you are like me and many of us here who are 14 days in, maybe you did three days. Do you know what God's response is to that? It's day 14. Let's go. There is no condemnation, there's no shame. There's an open invitation, so let's go. And we're gonna see how God does that with this people in the book of Ezra. All right, cool, all right, let's get in. So we're in Ezra chapter five. We ended chapter four on a down note. So if you remember where we are, I'll bring, back, bring up to speed, where we are basically the king that has overtaken the area, and cast out israel as a nation they're no longer in jerusalem they get told by the king's decree they can go and start building their temple now their temple represented the way for them to connect with god so this was god telling them hey get let's get to work There's a way you can reconnect with me. Do your ceremonies and your sacrifices and your feasts and your festivals because there is an official temple at the same site, same location. Altar was built. They celebrated. They groaned and they celebrated. Then there was the, now the temple is being rebuilt. Now here here we are caught up and there's one thing to keep note. Until this point, we've been through many kings and the work has started and stopped because the work started with the decree of king cyrus the king of persia right and he says okay the god's people the, the, god, pe- the god of jerusalem the people of the god of jerusalem over there in jerusalem can go there and build the temple to their god now, as a pagan king he's not acknowledging that this is the god of the heavens and earth he's just saying the god of Jerusalem over there. He probably said the God of that area over there. You can go do your thing and the God of you can go You go do your thing, but of the two to three million people in the area that were Of the Israelites of God's people About 2% went right 42,000 ish actually went and they start building They stop building because the king changes and the new king says stop building then they start building again because the king the new king a different king of Persia says oh you can build again and then they stopped building because there's a new king and now they stopped building because the king decreed you have to stop building and they just stopped for 14 15 18 years there's this big gap of nothing and they just stop that's where we ended last week so up until now the decree has been or the, the whether or not the people were doing the work of God depended on The decree of the king of the world or king of the earth of the air he called himself the king of the earth of as far as he could see he was the king uh, Cyrus and so it depended on the whims of the world whether or not they continued to do the work of God so they started and stopped and started and stopped so they stopped for 14 15 years and what was God's response to them stopping to do the work it wasn't this angry God coming down and condemning them. It was a God coming into their life saying, hey, what are you doing? Remember? Look what you've done. You've taken, you've taken what was intended to build my temple, the resources and time and energy that I've trusted you with to build my kingdom here, to build my temple here, You've taken that and you've used it to build your own empires. You're, it says that they use the, the materials to build their own homes. And what many of us would expect at that point is an angry God that can punishes us. But God sends these prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, and for two plus years, they are prophesying to God's people, saying, Let's go. Let's start building. Let's get back up. Let's do it. And the people's response, Is beautiful Zephaniah starts building again and it's beautiful they start building on now there's something different though they're not building because the king said so they start building because God said so that's a big difference because when you're on a mission from God I'm going to say it now so you can stop thinking of it. Yeah, like Jake and Elwood Blues and the Blues Brothers, right? We're on a mission from God because I'm going to say that a lot and I keep thinking it. So I'm going to say it and get out of the way. Okay, so when they're on a mission from God, it doesn't matter what the king says. It doesn't matter what the world provides. And now I've done this in my life and my career. I've, you know, pursued career opportunities and I would use phrases like God's going to open one door and close another door. And I would put God's name on these things. But what was it? When I was looking at different jobs to take, whatever job paid the most just so happened to be the door that God opened. Right? I'm just going to pray that God opens a door for me to get a better job. And what's a better job? Oh, one that pays more. I'm just going to pray like, and that was like my indicator. So who, what was my God? What was making my decision for me? The money. And I would pray, I just want God's will in my life. And what am I really praying? I just want to be the most prosperous and the least suffering I can, because that's probably what God would want for me, because he's a good God. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray God's will for my life. And then whatever the easiest path is must have been God's will. Therefore, if I'm ever suffering or I struggle, I must not be in God's will. But when you're, that's what happens when you're submitting to the kingdom of the world. You realize how frail and fragile that is. When you start living according and you're looking at your life and whether or not God is with you or God is blessing you based on the world's metrics of what's important, you find out that's very empty. You find it out very quick. I mean, just look back at the last few years and what we've seen. How many cryptocurrency billionaires have we had and then they disappeared? How many people have put their faith and their hope in their, in their portfolios and how tenuous that is. But God tells us that when you put your treasures on earth, it's so fragile. And if we start pursuing those things and looking at the things of this earth and the provision of the world to determine what our purpose is and what we should be doing, we will easily give up. We'll easily stop. Stop. When we started raising funds for Corvallis Church 11 years ago, I can't believe it was 12 years ago we started, we had people pushing back against us raising funds. One, raising funds is, is if you look at even in this story, the, the only way that God provides, unless you're talking manna from heaven... The only way that God ever provides for his people is through the generosity of other people. And the only way generosity of other people is called upon is by someone asking other people for generosity. Like that's the only way. There is no like I'm going to sit in a room and pray and money's going to show up. There's always some type of ask. There's always some type of, so when we had resistance on fundraising and people coming and saying, hey, you know, if someone actually said this to one of our staff who's trying to fundraise his salary and uh, he kind of, he hit about 50% and then there was a, a couple months where he was struggling and someone said, you know, if God wanted this to happen, he would make it easier. And boy, that is just so What's the word I'm looking for? Stupid. Like, that is such a lack of understanding of what it means to prove faithfulness and to trust in God and to act in faith and to, and to know, to know that you know that you know that you're on a mission from God that you're going to do. And you're not dependent on the metrics of the world to determine whether or not you're going to do it. So look what happens to God's people when they start acting and building as if they're being called from God, not when they're being directed by the resources and the blessing of the king. It's beautiful. And it's not far off from where we are today. You know, they call this godless corridor that I've talked about earlier. They call it the home of the nuns. Not N-U-N. <laughs> N-O-N-E-S. It's when we, on a census when someone says, what religion do you affiliate with? It's the largest percentage in the country, concentrated population of people that say none. None. That, That tells us, one, this is our mission field. That there are people that don't know Jesus. And one of the reasons why researchers say it's not because people are walking away from Jesus. Most researchers think not, there aren't more or less Christians in, in that quarter than there used to be. What they're saying is it is no longer socially advantageous to identify yourself as a church-going Christian. Whereas in culture and society, and much in the Bible Belt in the Midwest, it still is. It's assumed you go to church. Out here, it's different it's no longer it used to be good for your business it'd be good for your community good for your school reputation good for everything if you were affiliated with a church and you went to a church it's no longer that case in the northwest so less and less people are saying that they're affiliated with the church they're saying none because that's kind of what's been uh, elevated as socially acceptable but we don't take our cues from that we're not driven by What's socially acceptable in the world, and the and when they were doing this work under the decree of the king, they had that covering, they had that banner that the king told us to do it, and he's funding it, so it must be a good thing. So, let's look at this. What do they say in chapter five? What happens? They meet opposition again, right? So basically, these people who are kind of the equivalent of building inspectors. They come along and they see the building and they say, what are you doing? Who are you people? Under whose authority are you doing this work? Now, I don't believe the building inspectors, there's no indication they had any malintent in in mind. I just kind of think they were doing their jobs. Their job is to see something and report it and question it and inspect it. And I can imagine that you know, there's doing this work they're doing this work on the temple and they're building it and they're using the common materials they have and the limited resources because they blew 15 years of resources on something else and they keep building this temple and there's this interaction when they start asking who are you and what are you doing and they say well we're building this temple and then they start apologizing for the temple you know it's not as glorious as Solomon's temple but it's on the same location like the same GPS coordinates as previously so uh, it's a temple but it's not with the splendor and glory of King Solomon, who had all the riches at his command. It's this pathetic thing. And they start asking them, who are you and and, under whose authority? And they could have said, we are God's people and we are the nation of Israel, the nation that God forgot, the nation that God abandoned, the nation that Babylon came and just destroyed. But they didn't. They didn't say that. Let's look at what they said when they were asked, who are you? In Ezra 5:11, this was their reply. We are the servants of God, of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. The nation of Israel is gone. There is no king of Israel now, but they're calling back on the king of Israel Solomon who built this glorious temple, and they're under what authority are they working now? Because if you would have asked them under the previous attempts of who's building, they would have said, we have a decree from King Artaxerxes or King Darius or King Cyrus. We have a decree from these kings that's telling us we can build. That's who we are. But this time they're saying, oh, we are the servants of God. And if you remember in Ezra 1, King Cyrus said, that he was the king of Persia, king of the earth. And their response is, we're serving the God of heaven and earth. Like, that's like a trump card, I think. I think that was like, yeah, I got like full house. Like, (laughs) it's like going all in. I love it. And so this declaration, and so because when, 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 God called them through these prophets to start rebuilding the beautiful response is they did Even though the decree to stop building was still standing Right, and so they start building and then they're questioned on it They didn't lie down this time. They didn't quit And then the letter goes back to the king king darius at the time a new king, you know Keep going through kings every few years. There's a new king and This letter goes back to them and they say, we are doing the work of God and they kind of connect the dots back to the king of Solomon. And they keep building. They keep faithfully building this small pitiful thing compared to Solomon's temple, but they keep faithfully building. And this is the time that we see Ezra is introduced in the story for the first time. And he's known as a scribe who kept meticulous records. That's why we have all this, these letters, these transcriptions of these letters that went back and forth to the king. And this is the time where the temple is finally finished. Now, if it feels like this roller coaster is happening in this story where Yay, God calls his people, provides for his people. They start building and then they stop. And then they, and then God invites and they, and they start doing it again and then they stop. And so last week we ended on, oh, they stop, Womp, womp, womp. Now we're starting again. Yay, and then they finish the temple. The city isn't rebuilt. The temple is rebuilt. Start with the altar, then the temple. Nehemiah gets into rebuilding the city walls. The story isn't over here, but let's pause and celebrate the fact they built the temple. They pushed through the adversity of the world that said, you are no longer being provided for by the king, protected by the king. But they pushed through, and their reason for it was, we're serving the God of heaven and earth. And that's true for us, As God's people we don't serve God when it's in favor with society we don't just serve God when we have provision from the king we don't we serve God faithfully no matter what the circumstance you know in our church we applied for a grant um, from the Lilly Foundation and the grant was for a few things one to send Heather and I on a sabbatical Um, That's kind of the heart of the grant and what they try to do. We had decided before we applied for a grant that we needed to send us on a sabbatical. Um, And so uh, we set out to do that and in that process we decided to apply for a grant. The grant application was one of the most well-crafted documents I've seen. Charlotte led our team in this months long process of looking at the requirements of the grant application and I don't know, a dozen people contributed contributed no, contributed to crafting this document. And I was pretty confident that we were in full compliance with this thing. It was an inspiring letter story. It was beautiful, and I, I knew the odds were against us because there were way more people that applied for the grant than money they had to give out, but I was pretty sure we were going to get it. And it turns out we didn't get it. In that grant application was money to send us on sabbatical, money to help restore the building, money to help build a new kid's play area, um, and money for the church community to do something to strengthen our community and our outreach to the world or to our neighborhood. That was about $50,000 was that grant. So when we got word that we didn't get that grant, we decided, and we had purposed in our hearts this anyway, regardless of whether or not we get the grant, this is the direction we're going. This is the mission we're on. God's provision may determine things like the, uh, the, the flavor of what we do, the timing of what we do, but we're gonna do it. And so we're still continuing forward to pursue this grant, or to not pursue this grant, to pursue this sabbatical, to pursue the re- restoration and revivification of the building, revivification of the children's play area, revivification of m- me and Heather. How many of you know what the word revivify means? right? It's a fairly new word. I wish we used it more. It's a powerful word. Revivify means to, to breathe life into something, but it's like where we would say revive, that's for something that is human. Revivify is what you would say to an organization. It's a slight difference, but it means the same thing. We're going to revivify Village Church. We're going to breathe life and hope into our future and get us ready for 2023 for the first time we're launching a giving campaign that we've never done before and i'm kind of sad that we've never done it because this is awesome we're excited about this Um, we are putting a target out there of seventy thousand dollars for this fundraising campaign but this is us i'm proud of this because and by the way i didn't orchestrate this part in the story and this campaign this just happened all right i'm not that smart but this is what is happening with God's people. They were on a mission to do something, and the funding stopped. The protection stopped. The security stopped. And those are the things that we look to money for in our society, right? Protection and security and resources. Like, we kind of feel safe if we have money and retirement and all that, right? But we can feel safe in Christ Jesus. We can feel safe in God that when we are on his mission, the money doesn't dictate whether or not we do it. So we are moving forward in faith, and rather than depend on Eli Lilly for our funding, we are turning out to our church and our communities around us to support the mission that we're on because we believe it matters. We believe that the uh, 1,000 to 1,400 people in Adair Village that don't know Jesus matter. They matter enough for us not to shrink back from what we're doing. They matter enough for us to lean forward in faith and hope and pray and ask for people to partner with us To fund what God is doing At our at our after church event here We're going to be talking about the specifics of what that means and what the plans are and what the hopes are and what the dreams are But I hope that you no matter where you are in your faith maybe you have uh, stopped praying Maybe you have stopped connecting with people. Maybe you've stopped attending church regularly. Maybe you've stopped believing that God is real for you. God's response to you when you have walked away and fallen away from him is the same response it was thousands of years ago to his people. He's sending prophets, voices, truth, encouragement to you right now to tell you, let's start now. It's that simple. There isn't this, hey, look back and lament and and repent of your past ways. It's like, let's start now. Start with me now. And that's what God is inviting us all to do. No matter where we are in our faith, he's inviting us. There's no shame, guilt, or condemnation for how many months, days, years of silence that you've had in caring and doing God's work and being God's people and being in communion with him and in community with others for the sake of sharing his love with people who don't yet know him. The, The response is the same. How about now? Now, let's start now. And you can get back on the, you know, get back engaged, get engaged in church, engaged in community, engaged in giving, engaged in prayer, engaged in the things that that God would have us do. You can get engaged in those things now. And then when you fall down again, the answer is the same. How about now? Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's invitation to us is never to condemn us and shame us into obedience. That's not the heart of a loving God. It's a God that has already forgiven us for the things that we haven't even repented of yet. The forgiveness is already there and the invitation from him is, let's go, come on. Let's start now. So that's the invitation to us today because we always have to ask, what are we doing here? What are you doing here? You have limited time on earth. It could end today. We don't know. But what are we doing here? Are we using our time and our resources to build up something temporary, dependent on the world? Or are we using our time and energy and resources for something eternal? Are we making time to invest in the spiritual life of our children? That's eternal. That's eternal. Are we making time to invite our neighbor that we know may be alone or struggling to coffee to let them know that they matter to God and to us? That's eternal. Are we taking time to invest and engage in your church community where you're sharing? community together and resources and ideas and and collaborating with the use of your gifts to make the world around you a place that reflects that it is loved by god because when we do that we tell people the truth about who god is god is a god who loves even the people that the world would have us not love god is that kind of god And when we start to think how much need there is in the world, you start to realize, I can't, I can't do this on my own. You aren't expected to explain to your neighbor the theology of Christianity. If anyone has ever told you that's an expectation of being a Christian, they're wrong. You are expected to love your neighbor. And when you have actual affection and love, I'm not talking like manufacturing good deeds towards your neighbor out of obedience to an angry God like when you Actually have a heart of affection and love for your neighbor. You are free to run with it You don't have to look at their behavior and draw lines and boundaries and say they're not this enough They're not that enough. you are free to just love because I believe that's what every heart wants to do But when we start to put these religious boundaries or these world boundaries, uh, these man-made boundaries around what it means and what it's supposed to be and what the Bible says about that and what people say about, we start to create weapons against the love that our heart wants to do. Paul calls this the hostility among us. And now how the love of the Holy Spirit kills the hostility among us so we can put those weapons down and we're just free to love people. And there are people that need love in a way that you can't give it because so you, you're not equipped to. So you say, hey, come to my church. I want you to meet some people. I'm not, you may not be very articulate with words, but there are people here who are you may have a social anxiety that just means you just can't see yourself being in public and coffee with at coffee with someone, but there is someone here who can. God's not dependent on just you. He's dependent on all of us. And we need each other, and that's why there's a church. Just imagine we as a church coming together in prayer and dedication and devotion to building God's kingdom here. There are 1,800 people in Adair Village. How many people don't know Jesus? Look at, look at Benton County. How many people don't know Jesus? I can tell you that there are less than 10% of the people that go to church on a given Sunday. You know how I know that? We hired a researcher about 10 years ago to do a demographic survey of the religious landscape of Benton County. They did the math. They called every church, asked them, how many seats do you have in your church? Did you know if 10% of Benton County decided to go to church on a given Sunday, there aren't enough seats in churches to hold them? 10%. So I know that less than 10% of the people in Benton County are engaged in church on a Sunday. I also know that statistics show that people don't see life transformation in their spiritual walk unless they engage with the church community at least three times a month that's another research three times a month engaging with church community is the tipping point where people start to see healing and restoration and inspiration and hope so i can put those together and say our mission field is great and there's an urgency in me that says i can't do this alone believe me i've tried And it's hard, and it's lonely, and it's wrong. We need to do this together. Your gifts matter. Your skills matter. Your weaknesses and brokenness is a huge gift to you because it tells you where you need people. So I want to invite you to go all in with us. I'm going to ask Toby to come back up and KJ as they close us out in worship, but let's be God's church together. This is what it means when we said, let's go be the church. It doesn't mean you go out there and be the church. It means let us together be the church.